Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 129 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks! Yay! I'm so happy to talk to you, We're Liam. Back. We're back. We're back. I know... We I... never went anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're hey, here. I mean, look... We are back on a regular schedule, I feel like, with recording, which is great. But mm. I'm sure our listeners are well aware, we don't really keep track. So I think sometimes our episodes are really close together, and sometimes they're really far apart. And I have no sense of how long it's been since we last put an episode out. Like you could The tell last me- time we put out an episode was in mid-February, February 16th. Oh, so it's been a bit. People have been waiting with bated breath for a new episode. With It's been almost a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, Jesus, to be fair, I wonder what Feb- Liam and Josh are thinking about. Uh, but be, to be fair, February <laughs> is a short month. So if you think You're about right. it, it's really only been two weeks. Yeah, it's only been about like four hours. So, you know, <laughs> I get it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Still, it feels like I haven't talked. You know, me and Josh talk to each other, guys. And, uh, you know, when we talk, it's great. But, like... On the show, we dive a little deep, obviously. That's why you're listening. And I realized as I was going over stuff I wanted to talk to you about, I was like, shit, I haven't talked to Josh in a while. Like, I need to, like, really go back in the memory banks to remember, like, what is worth bringing up to discuss on the show and what's not, you know? (laughs) To be fair, though, we talk every day via text or whatever else. Of course, of course. But, I mean, we we don't get the chance every day anymore to, like, just deep dive talk about shit that we save for this show, for your listening pleasure. Oh, yes, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Obs. Well, I mean, you know, I wish I could say that's just like a fact of life. But I think to some extent, even though we're talking about stuff all the time, there are some things that like we start to dive into talking about and then we go, save it, save it for the show. Save it for the show. <laughs> yeah. Save it for the mat. Yeah. No, that's true. For, save it for the mat is very good. We should say that more. <laughs> yeah. So. Before we get into things that we've been doing lately since we've last talked, Liam, is there anything you'd like to say? What do you mean? Do you have something specifically in mind? No, I don't know. I was just saying, like, you know, let's do our sponsors and then, you know, we'll get to it. Okay. Why don't you start? Well, first of all, who's who's more than our sponsors? Who do we need to thank for being able to do this episode? We need to thank all of our Patreon subscribers. Thank you guys so much for even just giving any of your time to listen to us and sharing. And also thank you for uh, sharing your resources with us. We really appreciate it. And it's how it's it's part of how this machine continues to to run, so to yeah. speak. So thank you all to our Patreon subscribers and supporters. You guys are the best. We love you. We hope that you have been enjoying our online screening events. Uh, mm-hmm. We hope that you... Uh, will let us know if you want one of these new t-shirts that we got. Uh, at this point, if you're a Patreon subscriber and there's a rough cut shirt that you want, I'll hook you up. I don't give a fuck. Come on. Let's do it. I don't, <laughs> that's, that's our fine. dude. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, we got a, a bunch of cool, like, screening events online, and I'm going to be curating one, and you probably want to see it because it's dope. Yeah. Now, now, where are those at? Well, guess what? If you're not a patron, you don't get to know. You do get to know. Just private, me- just private message us. Just message us privately. Just on a private level. Just textually, textualize us. Textually message us. Hush, privately. hush. Make sure you don't Shh. tell the feds. Yeah, we're yeah. good. We're good. Don't tell the cops. Don't tell the cops. No screenings okay. here. No screenings. 
Okay, we also but want to... But they're th- They're totally speaking, speaking of things that aren't quite legal, we want to thank our friends at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, <laughs> the premier screen printer and weirdo punks of the Lehigh Valley. Literally, the last stronghold of weirdo punks of the Lehigh Valley. Um, look, you know how we feel. Chris Reject is the best. He does the best work. His people do the best work. Uh, we love working with him. We love that he's a part of our family, extended family. Uh, we can't wait to talk him and barrage him into being onto the show. We're hoping that we're <laughs> going to have him on the show before his next wrestling event. So, like, you know, Chris Reject is great. Go to xlvacx.com and, eat, you know, A, if you have anything you've been screen printing, you should be screen printing with really high value apparel creations. <laughs> If you don't have something to screen print, guess what? You do. You actually do have stuff to screen print for. Whether it's your, <laughs> you know, fucking chess club, your goddamn sex dungeon, your podcast. Maybe you're idea. opening a tattoo shop. You got a tattoo uh, yeah, yeah. poster of some yeah. flash you want to get hanging on your yeah. wall. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you're starting a new uh, radio show, podcast, whatever the fuck it is. Band. Streetwear company. Uh-huh, you, need, uh-huh. you need some swants to promote your new ebook. <laughs> you want to get some branded Croc shoes? Hey, man, Fuck. that's a thing. Fuck, I don't know. Could he screen print Crocs? Can he do? Can he do anything? Is the question, and the answer to that is he can do everything. Okay. Go check him okay. out at xlvacx.com and bring all your screen printing needs to those good people. Who's our other sponsor? We need to thank. Uh, I don't know. I'm a little sleepy. Is there anything I can drink to keep me awake? Well, I have Liam? this delicious coffee I just brewed from Essex Coffee Roasters. <laughs> Our friend Aaron Dahlbeck spent years touring with bands wondering, where can I find a good cup of coffee? And now he has fucking answered this question by providing you with high-quality beans roasted to order. That means they're as fresh <laughs> as possible when they come to your door. Also, amazing teas. Try out uh, his chai. Friend of the show, Paul Sharkey, just posted about how much he liked the chai from uh, Essex. So tea, coffee, <laughs> sick merch, Essex Coffee Roasters. And the thing you need to know is when you go there to get your delicious coffee, your sick merch, your unbelievable teas from all over the world, you're going <laughs> to, as you check out, put in the discount code CINEPUNKS, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. And you're going to get 10% off, and it's going to be great for you, for us, for Aaron, and for the whole fucking world. Yeah. Spill that tea, girl. Spill that tea. I think tea. I just cut a promo. Is that what cutting a promo is? That was so good, dude. I was like, yo, Liam's done this before. I wonder Shit. if Aaron ever listens to our show and is like, you know what? These guys really do hype us up pretty good. I, I can't imagine that Aaron listens to our show, but I okay, mean, maybe no, no, he does. No, no, no. Let me go ahead and correct you. He does. Okay. And I know he does because we mentioned an idea that we should put out our own coffee. And while I have no dates or specifics yet, I will say that down the pike, we will be collaborating with Exit Coffee Roasters. Just saying. Oh, shit. Just saying. Just saying. That'll be my second collab. My second collab with Essex Coffee Roasters. I know, which is funny because you have terrible taste in coffee. It's true. I'm drinking Folgers because I don't have any any beans right now. I love that your backup brand is Folgers. Like you could yeah, even go for a Cafe yeah, Bustello or anything. Here's the thing, though, man. Here's the thing. Andrew Welbrock, friend of the show and uh, star of two episodes at least of the Philly DA PBS series, told me that if you enjoy bad coffee and bad beer, you'll never have a bad cup of coffee or a bad cup of beer. And you know what? My man's correct. Just saying, man. 
Just yeah. saying. This is 100% you guys being like Incorrect. Set, settling, yeah, I know. It's settling so for wrong. the worst in life. It's like really a bummer <laughs> in every way. Okay, so look, wrong. it's time for us to do our thing. We've got our thing that we do. You know about the thing? You know what it is? I heard about it once or 129 times. <laughs> 128 times yeah, sh- yeah yeah you know i feel like this is our gimmick i'm sure people have been ripping it off across the podcast sphere i'm actually unsure why we don't have a t-shirt of this on it yet fuck that's a good idea well because all of our t-shirts are weirdly serious like we need to develop some like goof shirts like yeah, i feel we like need 11 well you know what though the parachal shirt was pretty fun no that's true it was... but but it it also had the words uh, "hippie kill cult" on it, so it's also yeah. a little serious. I think if we we finally, you know, what we've been meaning to do is really dive into the cross colors Tasmanian Devil realm or Tweety Bird. We've been thinking about Whoa. it. It's time to finally cross over, and we get we get Taz, we get Tweety, maybe we get you know Black Bart, whatever it is that we're feeling. Oh, they're it's on gotta the, be the they're shoes, on the front. Man. They're on the fucking front. <laughs> And in the back, in big old 90s graffiti letters, it says, Whack and Whack on track. Whack and on track. Oh, yeah, sweet baby. baby Jeebus. Okay, did you just Hell punch yeah. your microphone? Can we have less microphone I did. punching? I'm sorry. I got hyped and punched the air, and the microphone got in my way. My bad, y'all. My bad, oh, listeners. Sorry. I feel so bad yeah. for Jacob. I feel like he's got to like massage the shit out of your audio for any of this to work. <laughs> yeah, so it's business as usual, Jacob. My bad, dog. <laughs> Liam, what have you done recently that is whack and or on track? So it's been a while since we record. So I'm sure I've done a bunch. And there's probably stuff I've even talked about online that I'm not going to remember right now. But this is the stuff I'm able to remember. So... <laughs> Josh, have you watched a little movie called Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar? I will say that Melani and I have started it, but we did not persevere and finish it. Now, was that because you found it unpleasant or not enjoyable? Uh, no, it was because we started it at like one in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that was like a poor idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, this movie, I think, is mildly controversial because I think for the people for whom it works, it works very well. It's really like mm. in the pocket. And for the people for whom it doesn't work, they're so mad that other people like it that they are like railing about it online. It's like a, a thing for people to be mad about is how can you like this bullshit movie? Um, but here's the thing though, Josh, it works for me and I am a big okay. fucking fan. This is, it by for my money, this is one of the funniest movies to come out in like 20 years. I really? am sold. It, it is it is the uh very much a over the top satire a la top secret or something along okay. those lines. However, it is so not mean spirited. You know how like a lot of these like totally goofy comedies from the 80s and even the 90s can't help but fall into like shitty things, you know? Yeah, mean like stuff the punching ab- down of it all. Yeah. yeah, mean stuff about women, about LGBTQ people, about all this stuff. Uh, uh, unfortunately, racism, all that kind of stuff. This movie mm. is not even cynical about its characters. Like it's like part of the hilarity of the movie is the Midwestern mom of it all, and yet mm. it never belittles these people in like a really mean way. It mocks them a little bit, but even that mocking is like good natured, and that's how the uh-huh. whole movie is. It's ridiculous, but it's like good-natured ridiculous and um it's 
in a weird way, very sex positive that I found like really kind of fun and silly. And uh, I loved it. I thought it was really great. I thought it was really a good time. Again, I think that to a certain extent, comedies are kind of like, um, I don't know. It's hard to make a, it's hard to make a direct connection because I think, you know, I don't want to take away the critical part of evaluating art. There is a criti- critical part to what we're doing here. Me and Josh mm. don't style ourselves as critics, but we do make critical evaluations as well as be fans. You know, we're fans, yeah. but we're also critical. But there's something about comedy sometimes where it's hard to be anything like, I mean, no one's objective, but it's hard to even pretend at objectivity because sometimes you just don't find something fucking funny. So, like, if this yeah. isn't funny yeah. for you, that's okay. But I think for a certain kind of folks, this should be like a like maybe you saw this and thought, ah, Kristen Wiig, she's kind of hit or miss for me. This is like mm. my second favorite Kristen Wiig thing of all time. Period. What's the first one? What's Bri- the first? Brides- Bridesmaids. Bridesmaids, okay. And this is okay. starring this is starring her and her writing partner who wrote Bridesmaids with her. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. and they they also co-wrote this. And Kristen Wake plays two roles in it. She's also the villain in the film and uh, is unrecognizable and is really great in the role. <laughs> cool. A better villain than the Wonder Woman movie, I'm hoping. Oh, way better. Well, in fact, <laughs> wa- watching this sort of redeemed her for me in some ways because She's such a bummer in that fucking Wonder Woman movie. Like, not that her yeah. performance is bad, but they just use her so poorly that I thought, is and this the what character's just written so badly? Written you know terribly. what I mean? Just it just like, made you think, like, you is this what Kristen Wiig's future is going to be? Is like poorly used in big movies? Like, that's her role now. So seeing her take mm. the helm on something and having it be so successful, I just, I fucking loved it. I thought it was great. Nice. I nice. also All watched right. another controversial movie. Is a comedy. I think it's called. Uh, so I just wrote down the short name, but I think the longer name is Breaking News in Yuba County. Oh, yeah, the one uh, Alice Janney movie, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's why I watched it. Alice Janney. Well, and mm. other people. The whole cast is fucking great. Uh, however, a lot of people hate this movie. They think it's really bad. And my response to it was kind of like um, nonplussed. Parts of it I thought were funny. Okay. Parts of it I thought were not great. But I didn't find it to be like the general response. And I mean almost total response is negative. Like this is a crime against cinema. This movie is just a total piece of crap. And uh, me and Suze mostly enjoyed it. I I, I certainly wouldn't defend it. It's not as funny and it doesn't work as well as for me as Barb and Star as, as another Mm. comedy I watched recently. They both have like that same, just judging from the boxes or the poster art for both of them, they have that same like pseudo eighties, like neon look. But Barb and Star is ridiculous, and this movie is more like um, it's more like a trying to be a dark comedy, a dark comedy of errors. And I think mm-hmm. for some people, it doesn't justify all the darkness of it. There's a lot of like, you know, scary things, murdery things, violence. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But you know, Wanda Sykes made me laugh. You know what I mean? Uh, Janie made me laugh. Like, uh, I you know. Aquafina doesn't ruin it. So, like, you know, whatever. It's fine. I don't know. I, mm. I can't imagine being so passionate about it as a lot of people have been. Like, this is like the worst thing they've ever seen. And I'm like, I don't know. It's okay. I'm, I'm not <laughs> I'm not gonna write it a love letter, but I, I don't get the the negative response. Um right. I watched two uh documentaries, actually three documentaries that I want to end wow. on. Um uh one is one that I haven't seen a lot of people talk about, so I really want to hype it up. It's called Through the Night. Have you heard about this? I have not. 
So it's focused on a daycare center that sort of uniquely offers daycare, as the title suggests, through the night for people who have overnight jobs or like in a sense, basically this woman has opened her home and she's offering 24 hour care basically for people who have all kinds of work schedules. So you can drop your kids off at like four in the morning or you can leave them overnight for a couple nights before you have to come get them. Like it's like this like crazy 24 hour care place where this woman basically like, informally started watching friends kids whether that was for health reasons or whatever and that slowly became a business and she's now been doing it for like 28 years right and uh wow. it is a beautiful and heartbreaking film it's 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 the embodiment of you know those tweets where someone's like look this community raised money for someone's health care it's wonderful and then someone points out sure but they shouldn't have to do a gofundme to get someone heart surgery you know yeah. that is this movie is that it's beautiful okay. that this woman runs this daycare center and is there for this community, but she shouldn't fucking have to because capitalism is fucking evil. Like that's like yeah. the movie is never that critical necessarily. Like it's not, it doesn't exist to like shame the employers of these people, but you can't mm. help but watch it and go, this system is fucked. It is not okay that mm. they, that this is what's going on here. And that these, this woman has this business, even though she's great at it. Uh, but even then she doesn't have the right kind of care to do the business very well. And she even has a health scare during the movie, you know? So, wow. um, it's, it's a heartbreaking, it's again, beautiful. I love the kids. I love the way that she loves the kids. It's amazing to see the resilience of these parents. Like there's so much positivity here and the movie really is focused on positivity, but it's, you can't help it watch it and then be like, oh yeah, this was just a positive story of people caring for each other. It has to make you mad too. It, and that's mm-hmm. what makes it so heartbreaking because it's beautiful, but the fact that it exists is frustrating and heartbreaking. I don't know. I, 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 I don't no, know. If, I get it. Yeah. yeah I couldn't recommend up. it enough. I also watch, and I think you watch this one too, Framing Britney Spears. Oh, yeah. I did watch that one. Melania and I watched it. Let's talk about that. How did you feel about it? I know you're not what I would call a Spears head or Britney stan. <laughs> And yet you, uh-huh. you watched it. How did you feel about it as a someone who is sort of not a big fan of Britney Spears? I mean, I can't say I'm not like, well, yeah, I'm not a big fan of Britney Spears, but I'm not like not a fan. You know what I mean? I'm not 100%. Out there, like, yes, I agree. You know, but also it's just such a that was a brutal depiction of what's yes. going on to a person with obvious mental health issues and a person who's just been cooked in the crucible of public opinion for her entire life, basically. And uh, I found it to be a pretty brutal indictment. It was, it's intense. The, man. The, it's pa- intense. the film never goes out of its way to very directly say Britney Spears is crushed by, by the patriarchy. And yet mm. that's what the film is really. Is that like, yeah. from the moment she shows up, we sexualized her. We demeaned her. We made her feel like shit for being good at her job. And then mm-hmm. it eventually drives her crazy. You know, like, I, I mean, to be fair, it's hard to know to what extent her mental health issues are because it seems like some of it might be exaggerated for the purposes of her uh, conservatorship, which is basically a mm-hmm. money-making industry. Like, these fuckers are making millions of dollars off of running her life, you know? Like, uh, conservatorship yeah. isn't supposed to be fucking profitable. Like, that's not... It's not a business. And yet, yeah. they're running it like a business, and it's really upsetting. 
it's just heartbreaking to know that like, that's her family. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, what yeah. the fuck, bro? Mm. It's, un- yeah. it's unbelievable. It's, it's, it is a legal establishment of what we always, you know, there's always this, maybe not a joke, but like a, like a cultural meme around the idea that like famous children are just the golden gooses for their parents and that parents push these famous children just so they don't have to work and they can make money. And it's like mm. now Britney Spears is not a child. She's a full fucking adult. And yet the legal system has, like encased in amber, this meme we have of child stars, where her yeah. her dad is living off of her work and her labor in the most exploitative way you could imagine. It's brutal, man. It's, it's a brutal documentary for sure. It made me feel real bad because I've always been someone who didn't much care about her. I didn't, I, I didn't quite indulge in all the jokes about her, but you know, mm. for us, I think our not in, de, indulging in those jokes was because we don't care that much about the wider pop culture yeah Yeah. it wasn't like a it wasn't like an acknowledgement of her humanity it was just an apathy about the situation but seeing the situation Mm. laid out my apathy turned to outrage and now i get all these like intense britney people like if if someone they love is being treated this poorly no wonder they're so fucking intense and they're out there protesting and shit like i have a lot of compassion for them now even if i'm just like you know unemotional about her music i mean don't get me wrong I know multiple songs for that first record. You couldn't, you couldn't fucking because you couldn't you couldn't you couldn't escape it. it. Yeah, no, it, yeah, was it was just everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's that's... funny. My my before this documentary, my interest in Britney Spears came about because of uh, drag queen Derek of Barry. Course. Who, yes, uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's like a huge Britney Spears impersonator, and I was like, oh wow. <laughs> I don't know. He wasn't in the movie, but anyway, yeah. it's not important. It's not yeah. important. But um point is you know you don't if you haven't watched this yet because you're like well who gives a fuck about britney spears i i think it's a really well done documentary i think it was yeah it was interesting it was handled very well it told the story very well um and it was compelling for me because i am now like fully in her corner even if i won't be putting Mm. on any records anytime soon although there you know there's a couple bops in there i'm not going to pretend that britney spears has never written a song (laughs) i could dance to but you know you Mm. don't have to be a fan to acknowledge the injustice of her situation and be moved by it yeah it's true it's Uh, it's it's a well done documentary yeah yeah and the last doc I watched, uh, it's a little less compelling than the first two, but I thought it was still kind of interesting. On HBO, there's a documentary called Fake Famous. Uh, hmm. Basically, a New York Times journalist who covers basically the internet for the New York Times, covers social media and all kinds of stuff. Uh, he goes on this mission to see if they can, the, you know, his team can make influencers, you know, as a way to explore mm-hmm. influencer culture, the influencer economy, all that shit, just to see if he can, like, manipulated and understand it he tries to like make it happen and it's just the story of that and through their experience he's sort of telling the story of influencers as a cultural phenomenon which is like you know to me was always mildly annoying but didn't feel like it had anything to do with me but watching Mm -hmm. the doc it's like maybe not quite as panic inducing as the facebook documentary on netflix but it is Uh. certainly concerning it's certainly like fuck is this really where we're at is this shit you know like so i i I don't know it 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 left me in a place where i was like um i'm more upset about this than i thought i could care you know what i mean yeah 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 wow yeah it's well because there's a lot of money and a lot of like 
there's a lot more going on in influencer culture than I think people our age understand. You as a mm. as a slightly younger Gen X, me as like a tail end Gen X, beginning of millennial, we're like not as embroiled in Instagram culture. And so I don't think mm. we realize like how important like influencers are such a huge part of the economy right now. Millions of dollars for people, pretty people to talk about your like diuretic tea on Instagram or whatever the fuck it is. It's like, it's easy to make fun of and we probably get the jokes about it, but I don't think we understand how big and important it is. I mean, literally one of the biggest tourist destinations in all of LA right now is a pink wall that's popular for people to take pictures in front of for their Instagram. Wow. It's really? huge. It's, it's, it's eclipsed all of the actual landmarks in the Los Angeles area. It is huge. <sighs> Millions of people, culture, man. Yeah, so I, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend this particular documentary as just an act of cinema. Like, I think the first two, I think Britney Spears works, whether you care about Britney Spears or not. I think Through the Night is like really well done. Like, you should just watch mm. it because it's a good film. Fake Famous, I really feel like only works if you care about this issue. Like, I don't think, I don't think it's something you should like worry about investing your time in if you don't care about this thing but i would mm. suggest that watching it might make you care about it so it, it might be worth doing it i just don't think it was a great documentary it felt more like a long tv special than it did a great film if you know what i mean i get it yeah, yeah. and yeah. the last thing i just wanted to say before i switch it over to you is uh on the recommendation of lots of people who i've been ignoring for a long time me and Suze finally started the show letter kenny and, uh, oh, yeah. People have been telling me about that show as well. I haven't watched it. It's really fucking good. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I would say watch it with the subtitles on because even though it's about Hicks in Canada, like that's what the mo- the show is about is Hicks in Canada. The wordplay is out of control. Like you need the subtitles on to get the layers of quick witted wordplay happening. It's it's un- it is the wittiest show about farting and dicks that you've ever watched in your life. <laughs> okay. If that's not a stunning endorsement, I don't know what is. That's that's what I'm thinking. All right, Josh, what's whacking on track for you, buddy? So for me, most of the whack stuff that happened since we last talked was movies. I watched a lot of bad movies. Oh, um, no. On the top, a lot yeah. Of them? A lot of them. I feel like I've seen a lot of shit movies. Some that I can't really talk about, but uh, one that uh, I watched. So for the celebration of my former bandmate, Rick, uh, for his birthday, we saw a movie called Monster Hunter. Oh, and, um, sure. I See, people have been yeah, telling me I need boy. to watch that. Uh, do you, though? I mean, like, here's the thing. It's one of those things where, like, uh, we end up getting, like, a movie theater experience for, like, you know, you pay, like, X amount of dollars. You can have up to, like, 10 people in the theater and you watch a movie that way. And since we've all already got at least one of the shots for most of us, we did this uh, for Rick's birthday. And, um, yeah, boy, I mean, you know, I love Mila Jovovich. Let's let's first put that there. Um, it's a movie that is apparently inspired by a video game. An Atari? I don't know. And um, it's got all these things in it. You know what I'm saying? There's like a bunch of Jingo rah-rah, like pro like Marines, kind of like we're the Marines, we're going to find out Beta Squad that disappeared in the desert. Like, So they're out there, a bunch of GIs, and it's cool, I get it. But then, you know, a storm comes, and then they get whisked away to another dimension somehow, where... Almost everybody immediately gets killed by these giant monsters. 
and then Ron Perlman's in there, and T.I., and, and Tony Jaws in it, and, like, there's a big sort. It's a lot, man. It's one of those movies where you're just like, I don't even understand what I'm doing here. You know what I'm saying? Like, one of those uh, yeah, guys I, where I, you're I totally like, understand. What in the shit? And, like, so, to be clear, dear listener, you know, I have a very broad palette for what it is that I appreciate in terms of action movies. One of my favorite action movies is the movie Doomsday, where it basically felt like a director broke into my brain when I was 14 years old and stole everything and put it in one movie. Like, I love that shit. There's, like, knights fighting other knights in there, and there's mutant punks and car chase. Like, I love that shit. This movie had kind of the same thing. Like, there's a rapper in there, and Hellboy's here for some reason, and the Tony Jaw. And it's just like, it's cool, but it's also like, I don't know, man. It was a lot of, like, fighting dinosaurs. You know what I'm saying? And it's it's all right. I just, it was a lot. It was a lot. Also, it has, like, a two-hour runtime. Which I'm like, yo, at least you did this shit for two hours to me. Like, I don't understand, you know, I don't know. It's, it's definitely not up there for me. I, I don't know if I can recommend it in good faith. Um... On the music tip, though, the past couple weeks have been amazing, Liam. What do you think? Have you been listening to anything new lately? Because yeah, I have you, a lot. I really didn't bring it up because there's so many things that I don't know where to start. You know, But yeah. why don't you start, and then I'll think about what I've been listening to. Oh, my God. So Nick Cave and Warren Ellis of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds dropped a surprise record. Uh, uh, at the end of February called Carnage. And it was an album completely recorded in lockdown, which I know isn't exactly like a new thing anymore These in a year in, right? But man, let me tell you, this record... So again, listeners of the show know I'm a huge Nick Cave fan. Like I love Nick Cave. And um, he is doing a thing called The Red Hand Files where um, his fans are... Uh, invited to just email him questions and he answers them as honestly and openly as he can. So um, he's been doing this for like a while now, for more than a year. And um, as pandemic happened last year, like he's been writing about his process as an artist who now cannot play shows, who's like majority of his like reflective time is spent on stage in front of crowds. Right. So, um, him and his collab, his longtime collaborator Warren Ellis did this record called Carnage, and in it, lyrically, it's a lot of the things that he has addressed in the Red Hand Files as the year has gone on. So to see the translation of these like very personal essays to actual people that he's writing, to see them manifest in song, is super cathartic to me. That even though in the face of such adversity and in the face of such times that are so dark and so difficult for people who are performers, for people who are songwriters, that even in that uncertainty, that beauty can arise and poetry can be honest and true. It's so good to see. And this record destroyed me. It like cut me in half. I'm getting emotional talking about it right now. It's just so good. And, um, yeah, so high recommend. It's called Carnage. I really, really, really love it. And um, there have been a lot more hardcore records I've been listening to. The Slant record that just came out, yep. I love that thing. I don't know shit about that band, but I love it so much. It's like it's so good. I, it's so good. I was telling you, Liam, it sounds like the activist hardcore of my youth that I've always loved. It reminds me of that very violent and like 
early like VFW Hall kind of band. And uh, again, I don't know anything about this band. I, I know nothing about them, but I do know that that record is powerful and um, I like it a whole lot. I also really like the new Regional Justice Center record that came out, Crime and Punishment. That record is really, really good. Um, also, friend of the show and uh, former King of Delco, John Sharkey III, put out a record called Shoot at the Cameras. It's a nine-track record, um, and it's his solo work. And uh, fans of Dark Blue and Clock Cleaner will, and Puerto Rico Flares will remember John Sharkey also, I mean, you know, he was that dude for, for a minute. And um, he's still that dude. He's just in Australia now. And the record is really, really, really good. So I've been uh, enjoying that a lot. And um, also, I found a black metal band called The Lamp of Burma. And they put out a record called The Air of Elliptical Romanticism. And um, see, it's always like a sketchy thing when you listen to black metal. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like I never know what they're talking about or how to read their logo. I just know that I respond to the fury of it all. And it always makes me be like, oh, man, I really hope these guys aren't racist because this song rules. So I don't listen to a lot of black metal as, as much as I used to before. These things used to, like, kind of gloss me over. Like, I was like, ah, well, you know, I do like this band, though. So, But I can't listen to it now that, like, there's a greater consciousness of, like, you know, just that kind of, like, sentiment in this day and age specifically with that scene. That said, I've done extensive research, and this band doesn't seem to have any nationalist tendency. So, uh, yeah, Lamp of Murmur. Really like it. It's uh, Air of Elliptical Romanticism. That's the name of the record. So those things are totally on track for me. So now that you brought it up, I'm thinking about all the music I didn't talk about. So let me take a brief aside to talk about some stuff. So... Uh, I want to echo you on most of the stuff you just said, although I'm just not really into black metal right now. I don't know. I, you sent that mm. to me, and I was just kind of like, eh, it's just not my vibe at the moment. Um, but that, oh my God, that Slant record is so fucking good. Uh, oh also, my goodness. I also want to mention, um, the full record isn't out yet, but uh, Serpent With Feet, who I've talked about on the show before. Oh yeah, you sent uh, me that song. It's awesome. Yeah, he's got a new record coming out called Deacon, and he's released two songs. Uh, one is uh, uh, my my uh, what has what is it? My boo wears the same size shoe, uh, and uh, friends or fellowship, uh, and uh, they're both really good. And I love I love him a lot. Um, there's also, as you said, the new RJC is really good. Um, there's a new record from that band Poison Ruin out of Philly. Uh, I love them. They are very, very good. If you haven't listened to them yet, they they have sort of like a gothy, metally punk feel that's very, very good. Um, friend of the podcast, uh, Nick over at New Morality Zine, just put out an EP by the band Porcupine from here in Chicago. Uh, Porcupine mm -hmm. kind of uh, walks the line between uh, D-Beat and new metalcore stuff like... Uh, Full of Hell. They sound like a cross uh, between Full of Hell and something like more punk. They're super weirdo. The album is called uh, Sybil, uh, The Sybil, and it's like just a nightmare record. It's like fucking just nightmare fuel, crazy person music. Um, Fucked Up has been releasing uh, movements from their like huge epic album, Year of the Horse. <laughs> uh, they've uh -huh. released two movements so far, and I find them very fucking good. I've always been a big fucked up fan. Yeah, so. you love fucked up, man. They're 
Great band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A uh, friend of the show, Joel St. Julian, who did the theme music for Cinema Smorgasbord, he just released an EP called Fool's Paradise that I really love. I think you should check it out, Josh. It's like ambient. Okay. It's kind of like ambient, uh, funky ambient stuff that I think you would be into. Um, I like that stuff. That's yeah. kind of my thing. Uh, hold on. I'm looking through my... I don't know if y'all do this, but the way I keep track of music now is I just like any label that looks interesting I subscribe to on Bandcamp and then I get notices when they release stuff and that's like the mm. easiest way for me to like know like okay what has come out that I've been listening to um, oh right so that band Gel who I really love in fact oh, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I have two like really good Gel shirts they just released a record called Violent Closure that's very very good and then um, our friends over in Soul Glow just released an EP yeah whose good. name I Super cannot good. say <laughs> Let's you say it's it's, it's dis as in discharge and then the n word. So there you go. Um, <laughs> and there was one more thing. Oh yeah, PMT Records in Europe released a EP uh, for a band or a demo rather for a band called Killing Frost that features members of Foreseen and a bunch of other like uh, Nordic hardcore the flex bands and all those. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, it's very good. It's very like a more thrashy version of sheer terror. Is that what I would, mm. how I would describe it? Nice. Um, and then there was one thing that just came out that I wanted to mention. Oh yeah. Also, I, I want to put up that Fimber Bravo record. Did you listen to that at all? I think I sent it to you. What is it? Um, it's called Haya Man. Yes, and, uh, that was really good. Oh my god, dude. So I've been listening to this uh, this person named Rachel Ags, and she plays guitar in a band called Sacred Paws. And before that, she was in a band called Trash Kit. And uh, she put out a solo tape on Bandcamp for the last Bandcamp Friday that's really good. But um, she has like a – like I don't know. How would you describe her musically? I'm like it's very like Caribbean influence, but it's yeah. still punk. Yeah. So um, just following her on – uh spotify she has like a lot of suggestions for bands and stuff that is like kind of outside of my wheelhouse but is very pleasant to me and um one of the things that she had put up or i think it was either her or the quietest they put out this gentleman named fimber bravo who plays a steel drum but in not the traditional steel drum kind of way like he uses it in a more nuanced like less uh, Calypso kind of way and it's so pleasant to listen to I love it so 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 much there's only one song off that new record that's called Hiya Man that's on Spotify but there's another record of his that is available on Spotify and let me tell you it is so good like I love it so much I've been listening to a lot of it so um, I love that yeah, Fimber Bravo. That's the dude's name, and it's so good, dude. So just search him out on Spotify and check him out. Um, it's the the record is called Confusion, C O N dash F U S I O N, and uh, that's the full length. But it's so good. Oh yeah, and one other thing, I want to give a shout out to my man Matt Smith in Portland, Oregon, because he told me about a band called Blood Incantation. The record is called Hidden History of the Human Race. Oh yeah, Race. I know that band. And oh my god, do you listen to that record? I've heard it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's got it's like straight up tech thrash metal, like math metal, but it has these weird like Sun City Girl breakdowns in it, and it's just so fucking good. I can't stop listening to it. I love it 
So big up, Matt. Love you. And I love that band. Thanks for telling me about it. So that's what I got. There was one more thing I wanted to mention. Uh, the Chisel put out an EP with our friend. Oh, yeah. With our good friend, Freddie Alva, as part of his uh, Oi uh, uh, whatever book that he, the, what's it called? Do you remember? Black Oi um, Black Book. It's, yeah. Yeah. So I would definitely recommend that. Uh, and because we haven't recorded for a while, this is a bit older, but I just want to mention it. Uh, another friend of the show, uh, Tom Sheehan from Indecision, has a new band called Colossus with uh, one of the guys from Mind Force and some other people from bands that you would recognize. Uh, and I love mm. it. it. It literally is like kind of expansive, loud New York hardcore, maybe even like metalcore but the songs are short, you know, like one of the things mm -hmm. that I find hard going back to nineties hardcore is how often the songs are like five or six minutes long. And I want to jump out of fucking yeah, window. Uh, for and, sure. Like that early cave and stuff. Yeah. I love it. But exactly. man, really? This or is like, like the saddest day by Converge. That song's like seven minutes long. This is like, what are you doing, guys? this has like one Oh eighty vibes, but, but okay. maybe whatever, but all the songs are short and I, it just, realizing how much that makes me happy that the songs are short is like great. <laughs> awesome. All right. So we're going to take a little break now, but after the break, Liam and I are going to discuss two movies. Yeah. I guess Chicago we never area. even talked about, we never even talked about this. We're talking about two, uh, uh, sort of classic black exploitation films, uh, both of which are from Chicago, which we didn't even, choose that intentionally it just happened uh coolie high and the spook who sat by the door um i i want to say straight up a we didn't mean to be so chicago centric but i'm glad we did it it's that's cool you know <laughs> since i live here now b both of these films are very male centric so i want to apologize for that up front there's definitely some black exploitation films we could have picked that would have been a little more female centric it was not on purpose that we were like let's just pick two boy movies or two <laughs> two, two man focused films but that's what we did and it wasn't you know so sorry. I don't know. I, I can only apologize so much because I think both these movies are great. But I only realized today, like as I was working up ideas about the movies, I was like, oh, these are both very much dick films, actually. Um, I, I think for Cooley High, it's not to its detriment. And we'll talk about that, how that's sort of the, the, the what the movie is exploring. I think for The Spook uh. Who Sat By The Door, it's the only flaw. Because you can't even say, well, it's the time. Because the Black yeah. Panthers were right there. If they had looked a little closer at the Black Panthers, they would have thought, we need some revolutionary women in this in this narrative. But for whatever reason, it's a very masculine narrative where the women are not given enough of a role. And that, again, you could write it off to, well, the, it was the time it was made. But the Black Panthers were right there. You could have just looked at them mm -hmm. and said, oh, women need to be part of this thing. you know. So, But... For me, it's the only flaw of the film. So there you go. <laughs> we'll get to it after the break. Doing whatever I had to do to survive 
I'm not saying what I did was all right Trying to break out of the ghetto with a day-to-day fight Been down so long, getting up to the cross for mine But I knew there was a better way of life And I was just trying to find You don't know what you do till you put under pressure Across 110th Street is a hell of a tester Across 110th Street Pimps trying to catch a woman next week Across 110th Street Pushers won't let the junkie go free Originally, uh, listeners, we had planned to do a Black History Month episode, which is why we picked two black exploitation movies. Um, but then, you know, life is a thing and so on and so forth. No excuses, but we didn't get it done before the end of February. So that's what you're hearing now. Um, I, I, also think, said, I also think we're of the mindset that, like, we want to make sure we're not just doing stuff during the uh, appropriate month. Like there's a real like tendency from various uh, uh, outlets to just cover, Oh, we're going to cover black stuff during uh, black heritage. Black black history month. Yeah. Yeah, 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 We're going to, we're going to cover, you know, uh, LGBTQ films during, you know, uh, pride month or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So like, I think for us, 
we thought of it because of the time, like, oh, we haven't done a black exploitation episode yet. Let's do that. And then I think when we thought about it, when we were like, oh, I don't think we're going to make it, we thought, well, who cares? We can do this anytime. And technically, we have. I mean, I'll straight up say to people, we've been planning to cover this stuff for a while because you may not, you may or may not know this, but this is one of my favorite genres of film, period. Mm, uh, and yeah. it's, it's one that I'm really obsessed with. But I think um, we kind of thought for a while that we had guests that we wanted to have on to be a part of that conversation and the reality as you guys know is we're kind of bad at following through with guests so (laughs) I think for us it was like we're no longer going to wait until we get these people on we're going to just like cover what we want to cover and then if someone comes on and they want to do uh, specifically, black exploitation—that's great. But uh, I think we—I think as an outlet, we've done a better job than others of trying to cover a pretty diverse palette of films and 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 filmmakers. But I think we could always mm. do better. So I think this is a good reminder to us that like the next time we're doing—I mean, when we have guests on the guest picks—and I, and I feel good about that. But when we're doing our own thing, to think like, okay have we been doing too many white dude directors? Like, you know what I mean? Because mm, sometimes yeah. you do, because those are the movies that dominate the culture. And if uh, I just, I, you know, I don't want to judge people too hard that make an effort. Uh, I think sometimes those efforts feel very performative, but I do have to say, mm. like, if you're out there and you're saying, well, I don't want to make too much of an effort because it feels forced. Yeah, of course it fucking feels forced. The whole conversation is dominated by white dudes, especially if you go historically. We all act like mm. fucking Scorsese invented movies. And like that's nothing against Scorsese. I love Scorsese, but like if you're like, well, I have to force myself to go outside the re- the stuff I'm comfortable talking about in order to cover diverse filmmakers, yeah, that's yeah. the fucking point, man. Like do that, you know? Mm. Like we've 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 been able to do that to some extent and we're we're hoping to do it more. So if you're a regular listener and you're like, "Well, they haven't covered queer Latinx filmmakers yet." You're probably right mm. and you should send us a message cuz we'll do it. Like we're all about it. Like let us know yeah, no. what we should be covering and we'll, and we'll make it happen. But I think for black exploitation specifically, not just black filmmakers, I think we've actually done a, a little bit of variety there. But when it comes specifically to this era of film, considering how mm. obsessed I am with it and and you like it too, but I'm like pretty obsessed yeah. with it. It's kind of ridiculous we haven't covered anything yet. Like I I'm kind I of amazed. I think it's part of your it's part of your exploitation thing that I just don't get down with. Right, 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 this, right, right. The whole black exploitation thing for you, like it's part of the fact that you love exploitation film in general. I do, and I that's do. never been never been a genre for me. Which you know, again, longtime listeners of the show know it's kind of not been my bag for the most part. So, but you've you made. Know. I mean, to be fair though, you've definitely made some excursions. Like you were very stoked on our Giallo episode, right? And that was like I was outside yeah. of your comfort zone. Um, I don't know. I mean, I definitely would. There are definitely movies that I wouldn't be like. This is what. Like, I think as a show, we're never going to get stoked on like rape revenge movies. I don't think that's our vibe. Yeah. Or like, it's not a thing. Yeah, yeah. I or like outside of self defense, the Canadian movie. I don't think we would do a lot of urban. Uh, what's the term? Uh, urban peril movies. A lot of urban peril movies are racist even if the people making them weren't trying to make a racist film they inevitably are like oh no white people caught in a black neighborhood like that's inherently racist even if even if the people making the film are not white that idea Mm. that fear is tied to something that i I, i'm not excited about so i don't think we're going to cover a lot of those and that's not to say that all those movies are bad i think some of those movies that are distasteful and I don't want to cover. Some of them are pretty good movies. Like Enemy Territory is a pretty good movie, but I'm not going to hype it up on the show because it's like, I don't want to spend all my time talking about how like 
I'm not moved by frightened white people. It's just not something that like <laughs> is very compelling for me. Mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah, hundred percent right there with you. But these two movies that we picked for today's discussion, I think, are exceptional. I think they're so yes, agreed. Good. Like the, I mean, like you know, we watch a lot of movies. Obviously, we have a movie podcast. It's a thing. But um, man, I it's been a while since I've experienced so much fun for one episode. I agree. I agree. You know what I mean? And like fun is kind of a hard word too. Like it's not exactly fun. Well, yeah, Especially both of these both movies, of these movies have, like, are they have like a like Cooley High starts out fun, but it, it gets pretty serious by the end. And Spook Who Sat by the Door is very serious, although I think some of what it's serious about can be fun to think about in a very dark way, which we'll get to yeah. when we cover when we get there. But I think you're right though, as far as enjoy like these are two of the most entertaining movies we've covered in a while in my mind like just purely worthwhile you know exciting watches Mm -hmm. i agree and and coolie high starting with coolie high it's funny because this is a movie that i've seen bits and pieces of many times over but i've never actually sat down to watch the entire movie until now and i'm so happy that i did i love it so much and it's one of those movies that is so prevalent in uh, Americana that like its reference points are all over the place. And I mean, for me, I didn't even put it together until I watched this movie just now. (laughs) I was like, Oh, wait a minute. That's from the killing me softly video Uh for the Fuji is like, Oh, I get that. You know what I mean? And like the entire speaker box record, the um, fucking um, not big boy, the other dude, Uh, that guy, his whole vibe. Yeah. 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 The dude who I saw, oh yeah, Andre three thousand. Yeah, <laughs> that guy. It's just but, man. Yeah, it is such a. I've this is actually the second time I've seen it, and the first time I saw it, it was the same feel, man. It's like a revelation because if you are someone, you know, this is part of the reality of our upbringings, right? Not everyone who was brought up on hip hop was brought up in the community that birthed hip hop. So there are plenty mm-hmm. of references that me and you didn't always get you know and there wasn't someone there to say yeah. oh that's from Cooley high you just got it or you didn't get it and there are lots of references i did get especially all the nerdy comic book ones which are all over some of my favorite oh, yeah. hip-hop acts but uh but Cooley high references i didn't get until i saw the movie which was until like my 30s you know or uh mm. you know a- another example that is very unfortunate is how influential uh behold the pale white horses that you know the the uh, the alien conspiracy book that first posits mm. a new world order and all that shit that was huge for a lot of rappers and i had no mm. idea so i was brought up with a lot of conspiracy <laughs> theories that i thought were like real street knowledge that actually came from a weird racist white man you know <laughs> who, who, who had <laughs> fucked up alien shit in his head you know like that like that's it's just sometimes the culture is weird and you don't know everything. And in this case, I'm mm. glad that we watched this too because uh, it is so important for so many people that we care about and I think is influential for a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. So it's, it's from good movie too. 1975. Let's get let's give all the stats on this thing. We haven't done that yet. Cooley okay, High, yeah. 1975, um, directed by uh, Michael Schultz who you might know, he also directed Car Wash, uh, Crush Groove. He directed Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. Yeah, man. Like, that's... Oh, dude, so no good. Joke. No <laughs> joke. And uh, there's a few people in this you might recognize, like uh, 
Glenn Turman, Lawrence Hill Jacobs, Garrett Morris, Cynthia Davis. Um, there's also a lot of people in this that didn't do a lot of other stuff. So um, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if you were like, oh, I don't know everyone in this. But like, you got to know Stephen Williams. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's a few people yeah, here yeah, yeah, yeah. that are iconic. I would hope. You know, though, though you never know what people's different experiences is, um, and mm-hmm. uh, it is like the ultimate for this time period Chicago movie to me. You know, like there's a whole genre of Chicago yeah. black exploitation. This movie, uh, the Monkey Hustle, um, uh, as we as we're about to discuss, the Spooky Sat by the Door. But there's a few of them. You know, a lot of uh-huh. black exploitation films are almost determined by where they're filmed you know like new york harlem based black exploitation films are very different from la yeah. films and the ones from the south are like a whole other genre almost so like whole different story it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. like the hip-hop of these regions you know right, what i mean like right, it's right. just like the way like regional areas have different flavors and very much like this but this movie definitely encapsulates. like there's so much in this movie that in my brief dealings with chicago they're very same like i've seen those places Sure. You know what yeah, I mean? And it's yeah. like, oh, wow, I don't believe this is, yeah, that's really funny. You know what I mean? Like, even in the context to which I've been to Chicago, which um, is either for Riot Fest or Comic Con or C2E2, like, I still, like, this is a love letter to Chicago. I think that's fair. And I think um, one of the things that I think is very compelling about this film is um, a, a lot of people compare it to American graffiti. And I don't know that that's a fair comparison because just by it being a black film centered on certain realities in Chicago, it has just to me so much more gravitas than American Graffiti, which mm-hmm. is sacrilege to some people. I'm sure there are people out there, American Graffiti is like their favorite movie. But American Graffiti to me feels so light compared to this movie. It feels yeah, so yeah, like yeah. just ephemeral. The stakes aren't as high. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like in this movie... This movie manages to... Well, first of all, let's talk about what this movie is. What happens in this movie, Liam? Oh, I like that you left it to me. So, uh, Cooley well, High... I mean, we could talk about it. Cooley High is a, a, basically the story of um, four high school friends who are just, like, trying to get through school, trying to get with girls, like, just all of the, like, painfully cishet experiences of teenage <laughs> men. Like, they are... Very heterosexual. They are, you know, you know, very much teenagers. They're obsessed with girls. They're obsessed with like getting out of doing schoolwork and not worrying about their responsibilities. Uh, but they also live in Chicago, and even though um, their family lives are not made exploitative, you know what I mean? Like, there's not a lot of sensationalism over where they're coming from mm. per se. There's also not a, a, a lot of hiding the fact that they're like on the street with people and some of the people mm-hmm. that they're friends with are doing crime and that's just how things are. And the school yeah. is operating a certain way. And you know, there's all this stuff in the film that um, doesn't feel, I mean, again, this is a, a considered a black exploitation film, um, but mm-hmm. it feels more like a, like a good hearted drama than it does exploitation you know except for a a brief moment where to get money they rob some sex workers and by rob i Mm -hmm. mean just trick like they just kind of trick them and run away and hope for the best you know there's no like assault or anything truly horrifying but it is it is unpleasant it is to me 
the most kind of unpleasant part of the movie. Like the movie, as dark and mm. dramatic as it is because of the setting, it's not a very cynical movie compared to the rest of the genre. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, no, I 100% think that's fair. Hell yeah. It's somehow that's managed- the thing about this movie. This movie manages to capture some sense of that adolescent joy. Yes, yes, it this, does. You know, like it really does have this sense of wonder about it that just makes the movie travel at such a quick clip. I mean, but you know I, what I mean? But there's such a chance for it not to work, right? Like if, if I were to tell someone, right, like, oh, Cooley High is a coming of age movie about uh, black youth where, of course, one of them gets killed. You might say, "Well, what a that's come on, what a cliche, you know what? Yeah, what no, it, that's seeing boys in the hood, know, yeah, oh, no, again, po- yeah. poverty porn, whatever, blah blah blah." And this is not that at all. The movie's mostly no. joyful and yet also realistic. And in fact, part mm. of their coming of age is like one of the things about this movie that I think is interesting is that it is a very male centric film, and in so mm-hmm. being, there's a lot of misogyny on display. It's definitely light, lighter teenage misogyny, but it's definitely there. It's like these young mm. women are not given the respect that they deserve. But part of the growth of the movie is these characters like figuring that the fuck out. That like part yeah. of them growing up is realizing like, oh shit, like the world is not about my dick. Like that's not the mm. the meaning of the world, and part of that unfortunately comes through tragedy, and it comes through an unjust criminal justice system, right? Like mm. the, these these kids get wrapped up in something that they probably shouldn't be wrapped up in, um, and through that is the drama that leads to some of the life lessons of the film. Mm-hmm. It's true. I mean, this movie is from but- 1975, so we can spoil it, but you know what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, one of the people dies because... So what ends up happening is there are two friends. There is Cochise, played by Lawrence Hilton Jacobs, and then there's Preach. He's played by Glenn Turman. And um, they're like kind of the two alphas of this group of four that yeah. just kind of run around Chicago and they like all go to Cooley High, Cooley Voc- Vocational Tech High School. And um, they end up getting caught up. It's like, it's weird how like the movie plays out because like... The parts where they that ultimately dictates the rest of the movie doesn't ever seem like that much of like a thing. It seems exactly like it is in the movie, which is like a carefree night. Well, yeah. Let, prob- let's let's be clear. How many white fo- teenager, uh, like sex comedy, teen comedy, whatever, however you want to think, or even coming of age movies, involve white teenagers committing crimes with no consequences? Yeah. So this movie has like a crime act in it that ends up becoming the 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 linchpin for the entire like gravity of the rest of the movie. Right. And it plays out in such like a sequence that's like truly carefree. It's fun. They're like, having fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then and I mean like so what ends up happening is they're hanging they go to a party, they meet up with these uh friends of theirs that are not always on the right side of the law and um these friends have a stolen car. You should come for a ride with us. And they do. And then they get into a police chase, so on and so forth. They they get chased through a Navy yard and they're in these warehouses and it's insane. And then these like uh, forklift operators like lift up the police car and they get away and so on and so forth. And then eventually, like in the last 20 minutes of the movie, they get arrested for this. And um, the two ne'er-do-well friends of theirs also get pinched by the cops, by the man. And um, their teacher, Mr. Garrett Morris, 
ha- goes and you find out that he's friends with the arresting officer, or at least the persecuting officer or whatever. So he says, come on, man, these guys, the, the one guy, like, you know, Cochise has a scholarship next year. You don't want to ruin his college career this way because of this. And so he gets them out, but then he can't get the other two guys out, the, the hoodlum dudes. And um, when they do get out, they think that Preach and Cochise told on them. So they track him down and they end up killing Cochise in like a fight. And to be fair, it's it's definitely unintentional. They're not like, you know, this this murdering is murdering him. Yeah, yeah, this is set in the '60s, and not that there wasn't murder in the '60s, but these aren't gangbangers. It's not like Boys in the Hood, where like everyone's shooting at each other. It's just they're trying to beat the crap out of this dude, and by mistake, sort of he manslaughter style, yeah. they kill him. Yeah. So so that's how the movie ends. A bummer for sure. Given well, the contrast of the rest of the movie. But it also but, ends yeah. with Cochise then sort of deciding to like leave and start his life over. And like really Oh no, no. It ends with Preach deciding oh. to leave. Cochise oh, that's is Preach. The dead one. Right, yeah, right, yeah. right, 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 right. Yeah. I always yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, sorry, I get them confused. <laughs> it's okay. But um yeah, no, so then this ends up being the impetus behind Preach leaving Chicago and going to Hollywood to becoming you know, and you find these out in these tag on like caption scenes at the end. And, um, you know, he goes to Hollywood, becomes a playwright, so on and so forth. Um, yeah, this movie, though, here's the thing that I found to be the most nascent about this movie. Even though the stakes of this movie are very high, even though at the end of the movie you end up realizing that the stakes are actually life and death and not just survival. Right. Um, the entire concept of the story despite taking place in a setting that is impoverished with people who obviously are working class, if not lower class people, the movie comes from a sense of abundance and it does not come from a sense of absence, which is why it's such a rich tapestry of character because the focus isn't on the money aspect of the movie. The focus is on the actual strands and fabrics of these people and how they interweave with each other to dictate the rest of the narrative. And I just found that to be so interesting, like a movie told from abundance. That's such an interesting way to tell a story to me, like despite the the underpinnings of poverty and its presence and footprint in all of these people's lives. Well, it feels deeply humanizing while not sort of hot. Like there's a way to tell this story that is just as humanizing, but sort of shies away from the reality of their lives, you know, where the fact that they're poor, the fact that they're in this, you know, uh, neglected neighborhood, that none of that matters. And in the film, all of that matters. It's all very important for them. And and their sense of Mm. if they have a future or not is important. You know, like all of that has weight to it, but the film doesn't weigh them down. It's about their humanity. And this is something that gets lost a lot. Sometimes we focus so much on the plight of folks, not just black folks, though, obviously, uh, as the folks who are often at the most losing end of white supremacy, they're the story we tell the most. But we could Mm. talk about any number of communities that are uh, marginalized and racialized in this culture. We tend to focus on because we're so it's so important to us to be honest and real about the tragedy we forget about the humanity of the people within the situation and so like 
all they are are sufferers. All they are are people mm. who are being denied opportunity or being oppressed or being murdered. And like they are more than that. And what Cooley High does is really say, like, we're gonna tell this very humanizing story about these quite honestly, jerk off kids. Like they are charming as hell, but they are jerk offs, like total, <laughs> you know, dicks in the most humanizing, charming way. They are dicks. We're gonna tell mm. funny stories about them. But we're also going to be honest about the reality of their situation, which is like when they go on hijinks, cops don't just let that go. So they they are going to pursue these motherfuckers and make them pay. And like, again, the movie doesn't make that as dramatic as it could. It's it, it, it somehow manages to tell that story in a realistic way while never taking away from the whimsy. Of this movie. Mm. This movie gets dramatic without ever feeling like it's broken its own tone. And to me, that's yeah. a fucking magic trick. Like, I can't it's believe it's a masterful that maneuver. Yeah. It's so good. And it's so seamless, too. That's the thing. Like, everything in it doesn't feel calculated, but you can tell fits perfectly like a jigsaw puzzle. It's so good. I got to. Oh, man. I got to say, like, Lawrence uh, Hilton Jacobs as Cochise is really good. But for me, Glenn Turman as Preach is like, I mean, obviously the movie, the way it ends kind of makes him almost the primary character when it's not, mm-hmm. that's not obvious, but it, the movie slowly makes him more the focus than the other uh, four friends or other three friends. However, like mm-hmm. that makes sense to me because his performance is so good. Like I just am, yeah. even now, and not that I don't like him as an actor overall, like I've liked him in other things. However, mm-hmm. like nothing he's done for me is as impressive as this. This is just unbelievable that at this age, I mean, I don't know exactly how old he was, but he's clearly a young actor at this point, that he's Mm -hmm. able to bring so much fun and depth to this character. That this is a silly movie, and it is not a silly movie at the same time. Yeah, that he brings an element of levity that is nothing but genuine to the script and uh, to the whole movie. It's just so it's it's joyful. It really is. Yeah. And then he drops that hammer in that last act. Yeah. And holy Moses, it's it's a lot. It's fucking a lot. It's so good. He's so good in it. Because this is such a masculine movie too, I think there's a lot of focus on the on the performances of the male actors, obviously. But I also want mm-hmm. to lift up Cynthia Davis as Brenda, which is the love interest he eventually sort of uh, focuses on, and they have an actual like relationship that then falls apart and when it's like sort of the romance function of the movie she is also really good and granted she's given more to do a lot of the female performances in this film are limited by the writing where they're they're there Mm -hmm. just to be like a foil or a joke or whatever and that sounds really demeaning it's it's i don't think it's meant to be demeaning of the women in the film it's just the 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 narrative is more focused on the men but the Mm -hmm. the the way that uh she uh cynthia davis brings uh, just a really clarity of performance to her character, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And then the way that that character is given more room to breathe and to live and to be interesting, hopefully is a counter note that allows you to know, I think this movie is very aware of the story it's telling. Like, it, it, yeah. it is being honest about what these... You know, you ever notice like uh, when people talk about uh, depictions of negative things? So like they talk about depictions of... Uh, of homophobia or misogyny and Mm -hmm. they say well depiction is an endorsement and i think 
on paper that's true. But we can both think of depictions that are so close to endorsement it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we yeah, get yeah, that yeah. you we get that you think this is bad, but your characters are too cool for us to know you think this is bad. For me, mm-hmm. and and I could be wrong, but what the movie says to me is that the people making this movie think that these kids don't have their shit together, as charming and fun as they are, that they are, mm-hmm. you know, figuring their themselves out. And part of figuring themselves out means at least somewhat growing out of this like teenage. Again, I, I, maybe misogyny is too tough of a term, but this teenage sexism that comes out of like, A, the world tells you that you're all that matters, and B, mm-hmm. you're horny as shit. And when you're a heterosexual male who's horny as shit and who everyone tells you that your libido matters and women's you know, uh, identity doesn't, you, you take that on. And so the fact that part of the growth of one of our major characters is to slowly realize, hey, maybe that's fucked up, is like, yeah. I think for 1975, shouldn't be discounted. And and to me, certainly seems better than fucking American graffiti, but whatever, who am I? <laughs> Agreed. I didn't know that this movie was the uh, the template for the, the TV sitcom What's Happening. I didn't Did know, know that, that either. No, I had no idea. Yeah, it was in like the IMDb trivia about it. I was like, holy shit. And then you realize like, yeah, Roger Thomas and Preach both wear the same glasses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, ah, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. Huh. Okay. I, I didn't that, even think about that, but yeah, I guess that's right. I guess that's right. I, I don't I really could, think there's any other like similarity other than that. You know what I mean? Like no, that and the mama no. character and maybe the sister that he throws the coat on at the end. You know what I mean? Like, Sure, yeah. Those things, you know, they're they're a lot more prevalent in what's happening. A TV show that I love, just saying. But I didn't, um, I didn't watch a lot of what's happening. I don't know. I don't know a lot about me, it. Me and Shaheem love that show. We said, like, for the first year that Shaheem and I worked together, we talked about that show incessantly until we discussed literally every episode. Well, I definitely watched it. Like, I have memories of it, but I think I was too young for it to like sink in. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's funny too because watching Cooley High, the gravity of what's happening, I get it a little bit better now. And um, it's interesting. I just, you know, there's no rerun character in Cooley High, but still, that movie and that TV show, I love them both. I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> I uh, I uh, I definitely have memories of rerun. That was what sunk in when I was a kid. But uh, you know, from you know, TV watching for me, it's interesting when I think about this with Maeve, and I'm wondering like what will stick with her because I don't remember much TV from when I was a kid except for one thing, and it's really weird. You know what it is? No. The intro music for Tales from the Dark Side. Oh. I used yeah. to watch it religiously when I was a kid, and I have. Like that, that music comes on and it's like a visceral response in my body. And I have no idea why that of all things stuck with me, but it really did. <laughs> Fair enough though, man. The it's mysteries weird. of Liam. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not though. It's really, it's really weird. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah, I don't know how much more, I mean, I guess like we, we've definitely talked about the gender politics of it all. And I think we've done a pretty good job of saying like, um, this is not a message movie. This is not a movie that's like exploring the uh, the the struggles of the black community per se. But it does such a good job of being realistic and funny and fun and just joyful. and heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. While still with even hand handling all the serious things that happen in the movie. I it's think, just so well done. I think outside of the identity of it all, which is weird to even say for a, a genre that is about the community it is set in, I still think like 
outside of that identity just as a film, people should be studying this movie to understand balance. Like This is a mm. masterfully balanced movie, I feel like, with all the stuff going on. And it, it, it's a way to tell a narrative that, to me, is like supremely effective. And I don't know that it I gets... Agree. I don't know that it gets the respect it deserves for that. What had to be a hard thing to to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially in 1975, man. All right. Well, there you go. That's fucking. That's 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 coolie. That's coolie high. Uh, I guess uh, we we should transition to the film that I chose, which is uh, the Spook Who Sat by the Door, a movie I've described to people as. Uh, Probably an uncomfortable movie for you to name, but uh, a very powerful movie all the same. Yeah, absolutely. Man, so what a had movie. You, had you seen this before? Was this completely new to you? I had seen it one time before, and um, it was just as impactful then as it is now. It, it hadn't lost any of its uh, it hadn't lost any of its effectiveness in since the last time I saw it. It's so good. It's so good. How about you? You've seen it one other time before? Yeah, it's it's been on my list of like must-see for a while, but it took me a while to finally get to see it. Uh, and it wasn't that long ago. It was probably like a year ago, maybe, I first mm. watched it and was just blown away. Like, I, I, you know, I was aware that it was a book first, and I had heard mm. people, you know, very strongly recommend uh, the book to me. Like, you need to get on this thing. Um, mm. And I just hadn't had a chance to. But for those of you who don't know... Uh, there's how to describe the plot of this movie. So the, the name is a, you know, obviously a double entendre. Uh, mm. And it's, you know, uh, the, the, uh, uh, it really starts funny enough with a political candidate who's trying to get yeah. the black community on his side. And they come up with a hot button issue that he doesn't really care about, but will make it seem like he cares, which is that there are no black folks in the CIA. Which, of mm. course, there's not. The CIA is the fucking worst. But, you know, there's no black folks in the CIA. So he makes that a big thing. So the CIA goes out of its way to try to integrate. And it's really clear that they don't really want to do it. But they're just going to go through the motions. And one candidate makes it through the whole process. Out of, you yeah. know, thousands of uh, applicants. One guy. And they tokenize him. First, he's just in the copy department then mm-hmm. they move him to reception so they seem really open-minded because there's a black man in the reception hence the title the spook who sat by the door i.e spook is both a uh, horrible racial slur and a common term for spies and so um this man is both uh but he never gets into any active duty he never really does anything for them. They never really give him a chance to do anything in particular. And then he leaves. He goes to join a nonprofit. And at this non, uh, at, you know, he, the nonprofit is in Chicago. He leaves. And as soon as he gets to Chicago, he goes about the, the work of putting his training to use, which one of the things the CIA has trained him is how guerrilla armies work. Now, they're training mm-hmm. him that so that he can take apart guerrilla armies for the CIA. But what he does is build a guerrilla army and his central thesis is that the u.s government is so biased against us as black people they will never believe that we have organized this shit on our own and they'll always look for some other culprit behind it and because of that he puts the whole nation on its heels yeah and it's it's, fucking amazing it's so good it's so good i mean he's from chicago which is why he returns to chicago in the capacity of like a social worker yep (laughs) But, uh, man, him just moving – oh, my God. What a movie. 
he goes to a gang that he used to be a part of, and he makes it the clear. The Cobras. Yeah, and he makes it clear to them that what he wants to do is more radical than they realize, and he slowly trains them how to be gorillas, and then he trains them how to train other people to be gorillas, and then they slowly spread mm-hmm. out across the country, and a, a incident starts riots in Chicago, and the riots are, like, mm-hmm. out of control, and really, you know... Uh, as much as the riots are in response to the murder of a young black man by police, the police make it worse, right? The police, mm-hmm. in letting loose dogs. dogs on the community, they just incite the community. And you get the feeling that uh, our main character, who, by the way, his code name in the organization is Uncle Tom, which I think is <laughs> great. Um, Unbelievable. But his, his actual name is Dan Freeman. Yeah, Dan Freeman. <laughs> also incredible. Also good. Uh, it's pretty clear that he isn't quite ready yet to start this thing, but they feel forced that they have to respond to what's happening. And Mm -hmm. so they take what are sort of disorganized riots and they hype it up to a guerrilla warfare. And right at the point where Chicago's trying to crack down on the guerrilla warfare in their city, he unleashes these folks across the country. And the movie sort of Mm -hmm. culminates undecided right like like mm-hmm. I, I don't know if this is where the book and i've been meaning to read the book i haven't gotten there yet i don't know if this is where the book ends but the the movie sort of ends with him simply saying like look we can't be afraid that there are people who should be our allies that are not that will be in the service mm-hmm. of the state that doesn't matter because in the name of freedom we have to do whatever it takes and then the movie just fucking ends. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's one of the most. The last, the last line in the movie is, um, and look, don't give up until you win or you die. And that's, that's it. it. That's, that's literally it. the very last line of the movie. It is it's the most so brutal. incendiary thing you could ever imagine. It's unbelievable. I, I don't know. I, I fucking love this movie. Yeah, man. And also, like, he gets in a fight at the end with his best bud, who try, who's, like, also a cop. And, uh, the Sergeant Dawson tries to arrest him and uh, he ends up stabbing Sergeant Dawson, but also he ends up getting shot by Sergeant Dawson as, as they're fighting. And it's not clear if, if Dan, Dan lives, you don't know. He's just shot. Next thing you know, he's holding his stomach where he gets shot and he calls in his troops. He's wearing a dashiki and he's sweating. And, oh man, what a movie. It's so brutal. This, this was directed by Ivan Dixon, who also was an actor, and people might know him from a variety of things. But uh, one of my favorite black exploitation films is also Trouble Man, which I will say also suffers from the same. Um, again, maybe misogyny is too heavy, but it's a very masculine film that doesn't take all of its female characters as seriously as it should. And that's my mm. one critique of this movie as well: that there should be women in the guerrilla group. There's no reason for there not to be, especially since plenty of revolutionaries across the country had already sort of broken down those gender barriers. Uh, mm. But Trouble Man is great. So knowing he directed Trouble Man is, makes me that much happier. Um, after this movie, though, he didn't do a lot of stuff that people that got a lot of attention. And in fact, he ended up doing a lot more television. Um, and it's hard mm. to say why that is. I'd love to, if someone has any, you know, work on his career as a director and why he went the directions he went, you know, like knowing Mm -hmm. that my man went from directing this incredible movie to directing episodes of quantum leap. It's like, (laughs) how, like, why? Like, is that, is that okay? Or was that a tragedy? Was he, you know, cut out of making films because of how this movie, I mean, 
I don't know how successful it was, but there was definitely an effort by the FBI to suppress this film. They didn't want people yeah. to see it. They were really worried. And and I don't know if Ivan Dixon thought like this is going to inspire actual violence or if he thought this is just a powerful book and I want to tell this story. I have no idea. And and it mm. it's the little research I was able to do before we started, it's not clear to me that this inspired anything particularly dramatic. I don't know that anyone saw this movie and thought, "Oh, I can do that." You know what I mean? Mm. It doesn't seem like it. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe it really did, or maybe it's just another case of the FBI being worried about the wrong things. But this did come out in 1973, so mm-hmm. you know some crazy stuff did happen after that. But it seems like <laughs> it seems like in some ways, I guess this movie could be seen as still slightly reactionary in the sense that if people saw this movie and thought this is what the Black Panthers were, that might cause them to be less critical of the state violence against the Black Panthers because. This is not what the Black Panthers were. They never went on guerrilla attacks of police mm-hmm. officers. They mostly just did education and fed people. And, you know, they were willing to defend themselves when they had to, but they didn't do this sort of violence that's in this movie. But I think we're detached enough from that time that I think modern mm-hmm. audiences wouldn't watch this movie and go, oh, this is an unfair caricature. I think they would watch this movie and go, oh, shit, this is sick. <laughs> yeah. Especially yeah. with the no. anger people feel right now at police, you know? I mean, like, the whole incident that causes the riot that mobilizes the guerrilla warfare in the movie is the shooting of an unarmed black man by the cops. In the back. In, in the Chicago. Back. In yeah. the back while he's running away. Yeah. So it's like, that's the thing about this movie. Like, the the echoes of it still ring true today, unfortunately. Well, yeah. I mean, the Chicago Police Department is one of the most racist and abusive in the country. You know, uh, almost as mm-hmm. bad as the LAPD. And, you know... Under Rahm Emanuel, they had a whole black site where they would torture people to get information. You know, and that's what's amazing to me is that's an established fact now. It's not even a conspiracy theory. It's an established mm. fact for which no reparations have been paid and no one has gone to jail. So, like, that's not cool. You know, like, that's a reminder of mm-hmm. the horrible situation we're in with the police. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So, I, you know, I, I, I don't know that this movie is as. I, so I, I not that not that long ago I watched. Uh, oh, I guess did we talk about this on an episode? Did we talk about Judas and the Black Messiah? No, we did not. Oh Jesus! I can't believe I didn't bring that up in my whacking on track. Hey y'all, <laughs> I really liked Judas and the Black Messiah. I thought it was really good, <laughs> but I thought it faltered in two ways. One, as great as his performance was, our man is too old to play Fred Hampton. Uh, okay, and I feel that way because it feels less dramatic that people are afraid of this person. If we remember that Fred Hampton started when he was 17 and he was murdered when he was 21, uh, that reminds us that the entire U.S. government was afraid of a teenager. You know what I mean? Like that the (laughs) FBI went out of their way to murder someone who, uh, you know, today wouldn't even be able yet had just become able to legally drink. You know, like that, 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 you know what I'm saying? Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I think, yeah. I think we lose something by seeing a grown adult play that role is we lose the power of who he was. The second critique is in the film, Fred Hampton talks a lot about revolution and race and not a lot about socialism. And guess what mm. he was about, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and that's a bit of a bummer. So I think a critique of the politics of that movie as powerful and well acted and just amazing as that movie is, is um, because the story of Fred Hampton hasn't been told as much as it should by mm-hmm. telling this story we miss out on some of the actual politics of fred hampton and the actual context of it yeah, yeah. 
I would say the same might be true of this movie in that um, in the movie, uh, Freeman uses communism as a smokescreen. He knows that the mm-hmm. U.S. government is so fucking obsessed with communism that he can mount this guerrilla warfare and people and the, the, the U.S. government just assumes it's Russians, right? There's got to yeah. be Russians. Mm-hmm. There's Russians. And they never actually look for an actual like black man to be in charge of this thing. They just can't believe that that's a reality. Um, yeah. And that's great and all. Like, I think that's a great plot point. But part of me is kind of like, I don't know that any group that would want to do this wouldn't have also some political perspective. Like the the one so, yeah. lacking here, other than obviously it's too male focused, is that uh, Freeman has no politics other than the liberation of black folks. And I get that. And I know a lot of people who feel similarly that that's their one pl- politics is we have to fight white supremacy. But um, I think it helps if you have some idea of what you're replacing it with, because I think, mm-hmm. I think capitalism will exploit people no matter what. And so yeah. uh, that doesn't mean you need to be a full on socialist or communist per se, but you need to have some idea of what do we want to replace the ruling regime with um yeah that being said how are you going to define how are you going to define your social equity after the tyranny is overthrown right 100 but on the other hand i don't know that the movie needs it it's still so entertaining and exciting while still having that undercurrent of of actual politics that i don't think most people watching the movie are going I don't know. I don't feel like Mr. Freeman has a plan. Yeah, he doesn't. <laughs> if, I, I truly get the feeling that if the government falls and someone not him is in charge, he's okay with that. He sees his mm. only role as fomenting the overthrow, the actual revolution. And, and he mm. doesn't seem to care what happens after. And I get that. It's a kind of, I would say, almost a nihilism, really, like a feeling of like, mm. whatever comes next doesn't matter because what we have just sucks. So we have to just overthrow it. Um, and I find that really moving. It's not practical, but again, art doesn't have to be practical. The movie works, and it doesn't matter that you kind of get the feeling that Mr. Freeman wouldn't be a very good actual leader after the fact yeah because he doesn't really care yeah no and it's not that he doesn't really care it's just that the singular focus of liberation is what drives him yeah i agree and um and that's like the weird tragedy of the movie right like despite how far it goes to tell the story of that struggle it never actually actualizes the concept of once realized well and that's that's right right like that's the limits the limits of our imagination yeah yeah, for sure. And like it's such a again, what a brilliant way to tell a story. Well, and I I think there's a promise there. There's a sense in which if we got mm. to that point, we could make our own idea of what the future would be if we would actually I mean, I'm not saying like Cinepunks endorses guerrilla warfare per se, but the idea mm. that like something radical needs to happen, you know, for me as a pacifist, I'm not trying to pick up a AK and shoot cops, but committing <laughs> to something radical, I think is very still possible. And I think, you know, at minimum, a general strike, like there's this really telling moment where the CIA guys are talking about how serious the situation is. And um, they're talking about how, the guerrilla warfare it's not even just that they're killing a ton of cops per se it's that Mm. in having black folks not show up to work they've also crippled the economy of chicago and that part was so powerful to me in translating this what really is in a sense a kind of fantasy into the real Mm. world that we we might not all want to pick up arms or anything as drastic as that but a general strike could actually shut this whole fucking country down if we really wanted to do it and so i think that there there is something 
practical under the surface here, but it is it is also part of the tragedy of it, right? That like if the movie went so far as to show what was next, I think it would make the movie less believable. Like I think yeah. we can yeah, only yeah, yeah. we can only barely follow the movie into the idea that people could organize and fight back. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that is such a step for us to see these uh, black folks, or we could replace them with all manner of other folks in a different movie. But in this movie, black folks stand up against the occupying force that is the police. That is like the limits of our imagination. And even that, yeah. I'm sure there are people who watch this movie and go, I don't know, it's not very compelling. It just seems like not realistic. And it's like, yeah, exactly. Because we can't even imagine that this is an option for us. It might not be the most attractive. I'm in the camp where it's not the most attractive option by any measure, but the fact that we Mm. can't even imagine people could do this if they wanted to is like insane, you know? Yeah, it's true. And also consider that this came out in 1973. Right. So like the conjecture of like actual liberation at that time is far like behind where we are now. You know what I mean? And we're not even in that good of a place in 2021. Well, I will say, though, in 1973 was sort of the cusp of a lot of revolutionary things going on. And I think it wasn't until mm. the end of the 70s that we started to see the backlash that led us to fucking Reaganomics, right? And and yeah, part yeah, of that, yeah. unfortunately, and I this is no critique of him because I think he was a good man, but part of that was the Carter administration, right? They finally put mm. someone who was actually a principled liberal into the, into the president's you know, position. Mm. And because of the harshness of the situation, he was ineffective. And of course we went to Reagan after that, you know, it was like, you know, if you get someone in who seems like your guy and your guy shits the bed, you're going to get a a bad backlash. You're going to get a hell of a backlash. In, In reality, it's sort of what we dealt with post Obama with Trump only, Obama didn't do anything to actually piss anyone off. It's just by being black, he pissed everyone off. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like literally yeah. in the four years of his first term, the, the, the number of white supremacist groups in this country increased by 750%. Jesus Was that Christ. because he did anything to hurt white people? Fuck no. He didn't do anything that even <laughs> vaguely impacted a conservative across this fucking country. He just was black and that was enough. You know what I mean? So yeah. like mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 the part of the reality here is I think in 1973 we were on the cusp of some truly revolutionary ideas and then there was the inevitable backlash and that's when people died mm-hmm. and that's when you know not just the Black Panthers but every identity-based revolutionary group in this country, Latino, American Indian, Asian, all these people got fucking squashed and put in jail man like shit mm-hmm. happened you know what i mean you know uh, uh l- listen to a rage against the machine song you know leonard peltier <laughs> that shit happened and so like yeah i think part of our story needs to be the cyclical nature of it all that if if black lives matter continues to be an actual relevant political force some of these people probably are going to catch a bullet or maybe already have some of these folks are going to have their uh economic situation destroyed they're going to get put in jail for bullshit things like this stuff is going to happen and you know if you've watched judas and the black messiah you saw some of that played out in that movie that's not fake that's not a a, a fantasy uh anyways uh, i don't want to get too much on my soapbox about that but you know we should be able to watch the spooky set by the door and think like we could do something that's this radical Personally, I'm not into just guerrilla warfare unless I had to, unless it was like truly drastic. But uh, 
But organizing ourselves under the table to do radical things to like help shape this world, that could happen. And it would be less dramatic than just shooting police officers uh, or National mm-hmm. Guardsmen or whatever they do in the film. But we could do dramatic things to change the world and, in fact, might have even more long-lasting effects in a way. But all of us just kind of feel like that's not possible, that it's not realistic, that like that could never happen. And I don't know. I like that this movie suggests it could happen, even if we both feel the sadness of, but it just stops there. It can't go as far mm. as to say, and this is what happens next. Yeah. There are no tag on scenes like the end of Cooley high that tells you what happened to everybody. Right. Right. Cause who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. Cause future's unwritten as they say. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't I know. know. I, 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 know. I find this such a compelling film. I, you know, reading people's reviews on letterbox, uh, you know, some people find it a little boring. I guess if you're coming to this expecting purely an action film, you know, there's mm. some action in it, but that's not the point of the fucking movie. You know what I mean? No, it's definitely an agenda movie. It's a movie yeah. with a point and a purpose to it, which puts it outside conventions of genre, right? Like it's not an action movie, but it has action bits to it, but that's not the point. You know what I mean? Like the point right. is the agenda. Uh, a lot of times you watch agenda movies like that and you know, the artistry is lost. But in this movie, I feel like the artistry is very much the center, the focus of the movie. I in agree. That, it's, it's, it's just so well acted. And like, I think it's really well written. You know what I mean? Like, it's really like, just the way each, each scene plays to each other scene, it's so well put together and constructed that it's a shame that this dude just went on to like TV after this. Yeah, he did a couple of movies, um, but a lot more TV. I don't want to. I don't want to disrespect the guy. Like maybe he did stuff that does matter to people. But I'm just saying, when it comes to the wider cultural impact, Trouble Man and Spooky Sat by the Door are massive movies. Like people still yeah. talk about them as two of the most important films in this genre. And you could really argue that maybe the Spooky Sat by the Door is almost an anti black exploitation film in the sense of like mm. it takes some of the familiar tropes and then turns them on their head and makes it way more radical than a lot of these other movies. But uh mm-hmm. but to me that doesn't make it not part of the genre. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. the same way that like, I don't know, uh oh, my brain just broke. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying yeah. to think of early uh, 80s punk band that kind of turned the hardcore punk thing on its ear by not playing fast and being really annoying. Uh, there's too many to name. I, I don't know. Uh, Moby, yeah, I, Moby I don't was know. Brief, briefly in the band. Flipper. Flipper. It, you yeah. could argue that this movie functions the way that Flipper functioned. Like Flipper functioned to anger... It's it's audience, which was already radical. You know, maybe this mm. movie was made to make other black exploitation films feel less radical than they thought they were. Like, hey, having a black cop be the star of your movie is not really that radical. It, it feels <laughs> radical. Like the the situation we're in is so racist that your black hero cop feels radical, but it's not as radical as this shit. So you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah, and, and no. that that might be the motivation, but that doesn't make this any less compelling in my mind. It's a powerful okay. film in which like a lot of rage comes out and i feel like it's as it's as powerful today. I, i'm going to go ahead and pull the curtain off. If you came to our uh you know this episode is obviously going to come out 
after tomorrow, but tomorrow our super secret screening event. This is one of the movies, and I'm not spoiling it because you're hearing this after the fact. So hopefully you're listening to this because you saw the movie at the screening and you're excited to think about it some more. So if you have seen it and you have strong thoughts about it and you want to share them, hit us up on social media, send us an email. We'd love to have the conversation with you. Excellent. Sounds good. Oh man, I hope everyone's okay over there. I hear. So yeah, no, tired. it's okay. Don't worry about the coffee. It's fine. <laughs> it's George. It's George. But um, anyway. All right. <laughs> so that's the end of the episode. Cool. Hey, thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Always rate, review, subscribe, and we will talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening. All right. Bye. Smoke bomb. Smoke bomb. Later. Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love Car Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Don. And I'm Justin Lohr. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great or maybe not great. Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.